your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught, one, yeah, first down, hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Juan Dale Robinson, one of the game controllers of Nebraska's virtual spring game, he dueled in the second half with Cam Tater-Britt. Those are the two guys that control the teams. Cam Tater-Britt became victorious. I bet that's mentioned a time or two between those two for the next foreseeable future. Would you agree yeah, with maybe. that? Maybe. <laughs> maybe might come up in conversation. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hey, welcome. Good to have you with us here on a Tuesday night of Sports Honor here on the Husker Sports Network. Glad you are with us. Coming up a little bit later on in the hour, Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald is going to join us. We're going to get his thoughts about the NFL draft, which starts in two days, and how some former Huskers may fare in that. We'll talk a lot of things with, with Evan coming up in a few minutes. But, Ben, we'll start with the story that Austin had in the ticker, and that was the announcement a couple of hours ago from Kevin Cross, uh, who put out on social media this post. First off, I want to thank God for giving me the ability to play the game of basketball also at such a high level second i want to thank the wonderful fans of nebraska as well as the coaching staff you guys are so passionate about the huskers and appreciate all the love and support i've received from my time as a husker after a long deliberation with my parents and coaches i have decided to enter my name into the ncaa transfer portal thank you kevin cross after a long deliberation with my parents and coaches I don't know that those coaches are the Nebraska coaches that he's talking about because I don't think Fred Hoiberg wanted Kevin Cross leaving this program. He really praised Kevin Cross a lot throughout this season for Nebraska. How surprising should this be to Husker fans, Ben, that Kevin Cross now is leaving the program? Yeah, I mean, I think the way that I look at it, it's um, what's surprising is the number. I think I think just adding another one, right, with the news of Charlie Easley transferring to South Dakota State, um, I think we're up to six now transfers out of the program. I think that just becomes um, – it's staggering to just hear this again and again and again and again. I think for um, for me, knowing, knowing Kevin a little bit and kind of his background, where he comes from, and um, – who he was close to on the team, this this really isn't all that surprising. I mean, Kevin was uh, really close to Gervais, uh, really close to Samari Curtis, uh, both of those guys now gone. Um, it's not entirely surprising to me. Kevin was a really late commit um, to Coach Hoiberg, too. Um, just, uh, yeah, just, a, just an interesting guy all around. And I'm not sure what it is that, that – he, he was told or what he's looking for in, in, a, in a college or university that he wasn't getting at Nebraska. I know um, that the that the staff here was really doing their best to keep Kevin's uh, body in, in a shape that, that allowed him to play at, at the high level at Nebraska. They were giving him all the nutrition help that he could have wanted and probably more than he wanted and more that he bargained for. Um, you know, when it, when it came time to that, you know, what he's eating, putting in his body and, you know, what it requires to, um, 
to stay committed to that because if you're not taking care of the stuff that you need to off the floor, it's going to bleed into, um, you know, the way that, that you play on the, on the floor. And I know um, they did have some troubles with that, you know, when Nebraska was on their break and over the winter time and Kevin came back and, you know, basically erased a lot of the work that this nutrition staff and the strength staff had done to, to his body, you know, in the week that he, to two weeks that he was home, uh, a lot of that work was erased and, you know, it was a setback for him. So I feel like, you know, this is an interesting situation, even more so compared to some of the others. Um, I don't want to say that Kev was a follower because I don't know that that's an accurate statement, but I think you're naive to think that the departures of some of his closest friends didn't have an impact on his decision whether to come back or not. You know, there's a theory out there, and it doesn't necessarily – apply to Kevin, maybe it does, that this quarantine that everybody is in, and most of the players have gone back home, that that is adding to some of these decisions made by college players, that they're not around the coaches, the office, the gym that you practice in, the training table where you see other student-athletes that you've started to develop relationships. You're more isolated. You're back in your town. That's why I reread the sentence about after discussing this with my coaches, I kind of wonder if that's some other people in his ear back in his hometown. And I'm assuming Kevin's back in Arkansas. I don't know that for sure. But but, but I have seen this on a lot of boards from national writers saying they think a lot of these decisions that are happening now, a month after when you usually hear this kind of stuff, is because these kids are, are not around the programs that they're at right now. Would you buy into any of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely possible. I think – these these players are so used to structure when they're on campus they're very strict schedules you know wake up breakfast workout class practice homework wake up repeat and i think that's you lose a lot we've all of us has have lost that mm -hmm. uh, you know a sense of structure and you know i don't want to say following rules but you know following the expectations of of what it's what it's like under a coach and being a division one player. I think, you know, a lot of that's taken away from you when you're, you're at home and it's really up to you yourself and, and I to, to get out there and, and put in the work and do the things necessary and hold yourself to that same expectation. Um, I bet it, it has influenced it. Some players minds of where they want to go, maybe reflecting on what their time is like in college, but uh, you know, I feel like it, at this situation right here in Nebraska, uh, you know, you, I, I mean, I do the best I can to use my application, app, apply what I know about the player to try and figure out what, what might be going on in their head and their decision to transfer. And, um, you know, I, to me, it's inconceivable to think that the other departures, Gervais specifically, um, didn't, didn't affect Kev in some way. And I know, I know it impacted him when Samari left too. So, you know, I think uh, he, he maybe felt like a lone wolf to, to a certain extent, um, you know, and just followed the, the rest of the crowd. But, you know, one thing's for sure, this day and age in college basketball, it's about building a team. It's about building guys. And I know fans around here are tired of hearing about this from the football side, but guys that have bought in, you know, if you've got so many players here that are here, about a calendar year or even less that, and they're already looking for a way out. Clearly the buy-in factor for what these coaches are, are trying to preach isn't there. 
And so do you really want those guys hitting the floor for you? Do you really want those guys on your bench looking your coaches in the eyes when you're down seven with eight minutes to go? You know, you want those guys that are going to reach deep down and, and fight for their coaches, fight for their teammates. And not to say that these guys didn't do that, but if they're not believing in what they're doing, if they're, if they're playing to get themselves recognized by another school or playing to get themselves recognized by an NBA scout or playing for another reason other than playing for your brother and your coaches, then I don't know that it's, that it's good to have those types of kids in your program. And I know that's what Matt Abdelmassi and Coach Hoiberg and, and Coach Sadler and Coach Gates and Coach Lutz, what they're all looking for when they bring players in here are guys that are going to fit and guys that want to be here. You know, guys like Hanif Cheatham who are willing to spend their last year in college working on a rebuild and leaving the program in a better spot when they came here. Those are the types of kids that you need in your program. Yeah, no doubt. Um, Gervais has landed in Pacific. That's where he's going to go to school next year. I don't know that I see Kevin Cross following Gervais Green to the University of Pacific. We'll kind of track that. You mentioned Charlie Easley. We didn't even get to that last night. We were so loaded up with other things last night. Charlie did accept a scholarship offer over the weekend from South Dakota. And I can't blame him. I mean, he's getting a full ride to go to South Dakota State. He was not going to remain on scholarship in Nebraska. So good for good for Charlie. I know, again, another guy that was very, very popular among the coaches. Um, so, sorry to see him go, but it's hard to argue with a young man getting a full ride somewhere to go play Division One basketball. And we wish nothing but the best for Charlie Easley, who became, quickly became a fan favorite. Ben, I, I can guarantee you, every coach in the country, every sport – at the collegiate level, these they are scared to death what kind of shape they're going to get their kids back whenever they come back, whether it's next month or June or July or August or something, whenever. The coaches are like, what are we going to see when these kids walk back on campus? Have they worked out at all? Or as I was telling, kidding Coach Williams last night about, have they just been on a cheeseburger diet for five months? I guarantee you Scott Frost sits there at night and goes, well, what's this guy going to look like? What's this guy going to look like when they get back in our in our care? There's no doubt. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time around um, nutritionists at Nebraska, friends with one of them. And, you know, just, just to peek inside their head for even just a day, you know, of of the things that they have to do in season, it's it's insane. Um, they have, they're, they're up on what every single player is trying to do to their bodies. And, you know, reaching out, texting them, you know, have you done this? Have you taken that? Are you staying hydrated? Have you had your water today? How much sugar have you had? How many Gatorades <laughs> have you had? You know, that's the type of stuff that these that these nutritionists have to worry about. And that's just as important as the weight that weight training program that you're doing. Yep. And I think, you know, for even guys like Kevin that to go back to Kevin Cross, that that's what was hard to understand for so many players is I'm working my tail off. I'm working my butt off in the weight room. But if you're on a, a fried chicken diet with French fries or, you know, you like to eat cheeseburgers or whatever it is, and you go work out for two hours but then go eat 1,500 calories, it's it, you're right back where you started. You just erased all the work that you just did. So, you know, to me, it's, it's very important. And, and, yeah, there's no doubt those coaches are losing sleep over that. The strength coaches are losing sleep over that. And, you know, you don't like to say, you know, you never like to hear excuses from players. But, Greg, it's this day and age, there's built-in excuses. There's no gyms open. There's nobody to train mm -hmm. with. There's, you know, there are a lot of players in parts of the country that don't have the money to go buy weight training equipment for their homes. Um, it's it, – 
you know, it's there's built-in excuses all over the place as to you know wait why this thing uh, may not work, and so. Yeah, that's a huge worry, and and that you better believe there's a good chunk of every roster that's going to suffer from this. Yeah, no doubt. That's why these coaches, and I think that's why Mike Gundy made those comments a couple of weeks ago about we need to start getting them back May first because that's for us to get geared up and ready if we do have a season on time in September. We're going to need some correction time to get these guys back on beam with this thing. Most college football coaches have said they need eight weeks before they can start a season. They're going to need eight weeks to get their team back in shape and back and ready to compete in football. So there, there's kind of – if you want a clock, there, there, that means the 1st of July, these coaches need these kids back on campus if we're going to start the college football season on time. 1st of July, if you want kind of a first barrier, and I think we're going to know before that whether it's a go or no go or if it gets pushed back. But if you want a clock, that's the coaches are kind of telling you that with eight weeks. Now, maybe volleyball is different. Maybe John Cook doesn't need eight weeks. Maybe he needs six. Maybe he needs five. I don't know. I haven't heard Coach Cook talk about that. But I think college football coaches have been pretty adamant we need eight weeks uh, with these kids in tow for us to know that they're ready to roll and get back after it. All right, well, we've got a lot to talk about on the program tonight, including some rules that have now been passed for college football for next season. Uh, these were passed a committee back in March. I know we hit on these a couple of months ago. We'll review them because they were officially approved today. It has to deal with um, target, the targeting rule is one of them. Officials in control of the game 90 minutes before kickoff. We'll go over those. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the program. Well, we're delighted to welcome on board the program Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. You can read Evan's work at Omaha.com. I hope this finds you doing well and that you're healthy, Evan. Haven't seen you in a while. Hey, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. Doing fine. Got out and, you know, there's no baseball going on, but I got out and played a little catch today. So that felt good. And, uh, yeah, staying healthy. It's obviously a, a strange time we're in, but I think uh, everyone's trying to find the silver linings. And right now the weather, uh, you know, makes that a little bit easier to do. Today might have been one of those top 10 days of the year. You didn't have any wind. You had good, bright sunshine. It was perfect temperature, right? I mean, it was California temperature where you weren't sweating, but you weren't cold. It was it was ideal. I'm glad you got out to do some of that today. Yeah, it was one of those Chamber of Commerce type days, uh-huh. right? I, I felt yeah. like, uh, you know, once that uh, there was a little thin cloud layer, well, once that went over the sun, it was just perfect out. And, uh, you know, it, it's days like this when I feel like we here in the Midwest and in Nebraska really have an advantage on the coasts. Our standard of living, or I'm sorry, our cost of living is a little bit lower. But, man, on days like this, uh, it feels pretty great. Well, I usually see you at Haymarket Park. I haven't – I'm trying to remember. I think tonight might have been a Creighton matchup, maybe in Omaha. Does that sound right to you? Maybe that's, that's – yeah, because well, it's I Tuesday. It was in Lincoln. Okay, maybe it's in Lincoln tonight. I, I haven't checked I my base. Say. <laughs> haven't I haven't checked my baseball, but I know it's a Tuesday night. We would have had some kind of game tonight, but uh, let's start there. How about Will Bolt was busy last week. He and the staff announced a couple of junior college pitchers. This this recruit this this group looks like they're pretty good at this recruiting thing. What do you make of these two guys that they signed last week? Yeah, you know it's it's going to be really interesting. This whole first year, I think, under Will Bolt has been kind of fun just to see how he and his staff and, you know, Lance Harvell, the recruiting coordinator, have kind of gone about it. And, you know, there, there were certain aspects uh, or, or emphasis, points of emphasis, I think, that they've gone about with recruiting. Obviously, they want to put a fence around the state of Nebraska. They have a lot of ties in Texas. And then their third thing that they want to really be known for, and, and they were known for when Coach Bolt was at Nebraska as an assistant, 
was going into the junior college ranks and maybe letting a player develop for a year or two there or find a late bloomer. And, uh, yeah, like you alluded to, I mean, they made uh, public a couple of signings here this week. Uh, Jake Buns, who's uh, out of Elkhorn South, spent a year at Hutchinson, and he's a left-hander who's, uh, I think, now 12 months uh, recovering from Tommy John surgery. He's an interesting prospect. I mean, he was striking. I think he had 80-some strikeouts and 50-some innings a couple years ago for Hutch. So big 6'5 guy. Um, He didn't have a a ton of offers, but Nebraska felt uh, like he was someone who they could develop, and obviously he uh, he grew up – in the state of Nebraska as a big Husker fan. So he comes in as a pretty intriguing option if he can come around. And then uh, the other addition was Cody Frank, who spent the last two years at Eastern Oklahoma State. He's a right-hander who uh, also has a really interesting story. I mean, two uh, two seasons ago, he came to that college as a, essentially as a walk-on utility man. They didn't know if he would catch or play infield. He could do a little pitching, and he – got an opportunity to start a midweek game in North Texas and uh, pitched a three-hit shutout, essentially. And uh, so from there on, he, he kind of went with that. He has a really uh, diverse set of pitches. I know talking with him is pretty unique one, and you can see video highlights of this on his Twitter feed. Uh, he calls it a slider change, and it's he, he grips it like a changeup. But uh, for, for whatever reason, with the velocity and how he – turns his wrist, uh, it, it fades away from a right-handed batter instead of into one. So it's something uh, that his pitching coach said, man, it was probably 60, 65% swing and miss rate on that puppy. So it'd be really interesting to see how that translates to major, you know, college baseball, where, how Nebraska plays it. But um, another interesting arm where maybe he could come out of the bullpen, maybe he could be a starter. He certainly has the stamina to be and then again as you know greg you look at the, the pitching situation for nebraska and we don't know if gareth stroh is going to come back and exercise that extra year of eligibility uh we know kyle perry is going to be in the mix kate povich and Kobe gomez but this is a, a couple really i think key additions that can help nebraska right away in some capacity uh and i think they'll make them better in 2021 yeah, since you and I last visited, and that's been almost two months now, we do know that the NCA has approved the eligibility for all these guys to extend one more year. Do you have a handle? Nebraska had six seniors. What's your what's your gut say about which of those guys want to come back, may come back next year? Yeah, I had a chance to speak to almost all of them over the course of the last you know six weeks here. But, uh, you know, I – Mojo Haggy's coming back. He's made that clear. He was a guy who was on a five-year track uh, as an agriculture, I'm sorry, as an architecture major. So he, uh, he'll be back. Uh, Luke Roscom had said before they announced it that if he had the chance to return, he would. So I anticipate him being back as well. And then I think with uh, a lot of the other guys, it's uh, it's probably still a little bit on the fence. I know, you know, as as the ruling came down, colleges can opt to. Uh, continue with the amount of financial aid they gave to those players, those seniors, into 2021, or they can offer a lesser amount. And I think that's still being worked through with some of those other players. I know Joe Acker, as an App State kid, had said, yeah, I mean, paying for essentially an extra year of college that he wasn't anticipating, that's something that they're still that he's still working through. Uh, you know, Ty Roseberry is an interesting case. He had a summer internship lined up uh with an agronomy company that in back home in Kearney that looks like that'll be his, you know, his career. That's what he wants to get into. And so now he has to decide 
does he, you know, scrap that for the time being, go to play summer ball if that's happening, and then come back? So so he's a little bit on the fence, too. And then I didn't have the chance to talk with Ben Klenke, but, you know, he's he does have a young son. Um, you know, he's, he'd be a six-year guy, or he is a six-year guy as well, or it would be, I'm sorry. And so, uh, you know, he has to make that decision, too, about whether or not he needs to uh, move on with his life and into the, kind of that next step, too. So, you know, bottom line, I, I feel like out of those six, maybe three, three and a half would probably be the line I would set. I would say three to four will probably be back next year. So it doesn't really make it a, a huge roster glut for the coaches. I mean, you can manage three guys. Now, some programs are going to have seven, eight, nine. They're going to have to deal with Nebraska really just with the six to start with. It may not be as huge an issue for Coach Will Bolt. We're visiting with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald. Again, you can read his work online at omaha.com. Let's switch gears and let's talk about the draft, which comes up here in a couple of days for the National Football League. Certainly think Nebraska is going to get a couple guys picked. Would you would you lean Lamar Jackson as the first Husker called during the, the three-day draft, or do you have somebody else in mind? Yeah, I think Lamar would be the odds-on favorite. And he's, for the last couple of months, held pretty steady in the mock drafts and among kind of your national pundits uh, to go maybe in that third, fourth round. I mean, he seems like he'll be someone I would imagine we'd be watching pretty close on that Friday where the second and third rounds are played out. Uh, you know, he, he seems like he would have a chance there as any football fans know you can never have enough corners and, and, you know, defensive, uh, the secondary players back there. And I think, you know, what there have been a lot of ways Lamar has impressed scouts, whether that was through the, you know, through the senior bowl or through the combine, um, they like his wingspan. They like, uh, you know, his, his smarts, his instincts for the game. I think his, the, the knock on him nationally has been maybe his top line speed. If he's able to keep pace with a receiver for 15 or 20 yards down the field, but you know, he's, I think he's improved his stock and he, I think he has said that he's, he's felt like, uh, you know, he'll probably be drafted higher now than where he might've been projected a couple months ago. Uh, Darian Daniels, I think would be the other guy who possibly could, uh, be the first Husker taken, defensive lineman, obviously a captain this last year. And I spoke with uh, Darian yesterday, and, and he has had kind of an interesting process. I mean, he, he spoke a lot about uh, how character will probably be an asset for him. I mean, as as we know, Greg, he carries himself well. He's got a good sense of humor. And he brought up a good point that when he's been training with other NFL prospects, some of them have said, man, you know, whether it's been a maybe a failed drug test or an off-the-field incident – a lot of their time then goes into explaining themselves to the NFL coaches and executives and scouts. And so he said, man, I haven't even had a parking ticket before. So for <laughs> me, it's, it's come down to talking football. And I think that's something that the teams have been really comfortable with him for. So he's someone else. And obviously Carlos and Khalil Davis, um, you know, you get the sense maybe Khalil Davis would sneak in there uh, at the end of the draft, possibly Carlos too. You don't know, but uh, certainly those four and possibly Mowberry and, and beyond, you know, you, you got to think, uh, you know, four, five, six Huskers are probably going to be on professional teams here by the end of the weekend. Well, it would be a nice after last year going over for the first time in, in decades. It would be nice to hear a couple Cornhuskers names get thrown up there uh, here over the weekend. Darian Daniels was a heck of a find, wasn't he? I mean, what, what a great addition to Nebraska's team. He, he, I mean, to come in and quickly earn a captain. Captain's a title from your new mates. That speaks really highly of that young guy. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he he came in 
what was it, January of, uh, yeah. of last year and uh, took it over, man. I mean, he gave the team what it needed. There weren't, you know, a, a ton of vocal leaders at that point, and he, he came right in and did it. I mean, he's an older brother, Damian Daniels, who's still on the team. He carries himself that way. You know, I remember reading stories from his time at Oklahoma State when, you know, he's the guy in the shower after the game. Everyone's telling him to pipe down because he's singing so loud. And, you know, I think <laughs> we saw that big personality even here at Nebraska this year before the – Colorado game he wasn't afraid to come out and say yeah you know we we feel like we're going to do well in this game and he was the guy I think it was before the Indiana game who uh, you know coach Frost and others mentioned that he came came out and, and called some players out for saying hey we need to we need to be buckling down here in our preparation so certainly uh, you know a well-spoken guy like I mentioned no trouble off the field whatsoever and uh, you know I think he represents kind of the best case scenario for the transfer portal when you can go out and get somebody like that who can make such a big impact for your program even for one year. Evan, if memory serves, you made a, a junket to Dallas to do a story about Damian when he committed and signed with Nebraska. Did Darian's name come up much when you went down there to explore the newest Husker? Well, I think that was when you maybe even did a little double dip with some baseball coverage down there. Yeah, good memory. Yes, that was... Uh, the week that uh, the Frisco Classic was down there right. for baseball. But, yeah, I made a detour uh, into South Dallas and was able to catch uh, Damien at a at a track event down there. But, uh, yeah, it, those two brothers are, you know, their stories are very much intertwined. Um, you know, I, I wrote about it today, but one story they do like to tell is that, uh, you know, their father, Tony Daniels, who played at Texas Tech in the 90s and was in the NFL for a short time, he started both of his sons on uh, with soccer because he wanted to work on their footwork and their stamina and that sort of thing and switched him over in grade school. And there was a point early on when, you know, Darian was maybe seven or eight years old and he was just kind of starting to dabble and tackle football. And he was, uh, he was shying away from contact at first. He didn't really want a piece of it. And so uh, their dad pulled Damien out of his flag football game on an adjacent field, brought him over and said, here, put on your older brother's pads and hit somebody. And he did. And, uh, you know, older brother did not take kindly to that. And, you know, he, he mentioned to me the other day, that still motivates him. Those both brothers have a very healthy competition. Um, you know, I think back even this last year, Tony Tuioti, the D-line coach, said one day after practice, you know, yeah, Damien's a little cross today because Darian took his seat in a team meeting. So, you know, those, those guys support each other. Ultimately, uh, they make each other better, but make no mistake, there's been a – sibling rivalry there for a long time and, and i think it's uh you know paid off for both sides well very good well, it was a good read on darian that you posted earlier today folks can go find that again at omaha.com evan we appreciate you jumping on board with us tonight great to hear your voice i can't wait for the time we're all kind of back covering press conferences and ball games again and uh, get some normalcy back into it but we need to make sure everybody's safe before we do that amen greg hopefully uh, we'll talk again soon Think them up. We count them down. It's Top 10 Tuesdays on Sports Nightly. And our Top 10 Tuesday brought to you by Union Bank and Trust. All your banking needs are taken care of by real people who really care. Stop by and you'll see that. You belong here. Union Bank and Trust member FDIC. NFL draft theme is our Top 10 topic tonight, guys, and it's going to be if you were an NFL GM, what would be the top 10 characteristics you would be looking for? Ben, this one was your brainchild. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting this time of the year. Everybody has their own mock draft. Everybody does a mock draft, and I think it, it comes down to uh, just reading uh, into the GM's mind what, what's important to them, what type of player they need, what position do they need. And, and so I thought, okay, if we were GMs, what type of characteristics would we look in a player? So if we're evaluating a player, uh, what is it that we're looking for for him to be drafted or, or what we like to – uh, our criteria of a draftable player. All right. Since it's your brainchild, you lead us off. Yeah, my, my 10 is is something that I thought would be a lot higher, but I guess I ended up valuing this a, a little lower. Obviously still um, still found a spot on my list, but are they a winner? Uh, I, th- I And, and I, the more I thought about this, the more I thought, okay, some of this could just be dumb luck. Like it, there, there are some guys that are good enough in college to – single-handedly win games but there are a lot of guys that are on college teams that you know they're say they're a corner they they can't score points for the offense or they can't stop the run there, there are things that that you limit when when you are uh winning games or not now if you're a quarterback winning must be probably the, the first thing on your list is he a winner uh is is probably a lot higher but i think just in general if i'm evaluating an offensive lineman or a linebacker or a safety or a corner or even wide receiver tight end running back basically every position but quarterback have they won and and uh is that something that that is in their fabric so something definitely worthy uh of my characteristics in my top 10 but i couldn't put it any higher okay austin my number 10 is a little bit out of the box but i have marketability at number 10 you know will our fans and community like this guy can he be an off the field asset for us but also if he doesn't work out is he marketable to other teams does he have a skill set other teams are looking for uh that we could easily move him uh, so marketability is my number 10 trade. I think that's a really big trade for the number one picks. I think your first-round pick needs – is it going to be the guy you're going to parade out there either that night or the next day in front of your media, your fans? I think that's a huge characteristic for the number one picks in anybody's draft. My number 10, toughness. I mean, the NFL is not a league for the faint of heart. You better be one tough son of a gun. You better be able to survive a practice. You better be able to side – survive a beat down in the fill room uh, or on Sunday. You better be tough through and through if you're going to make it in the NFL. So toughness, my number 10. All right. My number nine is something that, uh, I mean, I think it's always been an issue, but I think even more so, uh, you know, with social media, with, um, you know, just these players, we, we use the word, the words name and likeness all the time. Well, with that comes some downside. Austin, yours was marketability. Mine kind of takes that a step further. That's kind of their social life. Uh, you know, what what type of habits do they have? Are they a guy that's very, you know, outspoken? Do they need to be around people? Are they partiers? Um, you know, the, that have they gotten in trouble with DUIs or MIPs or marijuana? You know, all these all these things that come into play when it comes time to social life. Basically, if I'm a GM and I lay my head at the pillow at night, am I wondering what that guy's doing before I fall asleep? If, if, if the answer is yes, then that's going to affect whether I pick him or not. Number nine for me is speed. We've seen this with the Chiefs, especially the way they've built their team. The rumors, of course, with Henry Ruggs running a sub 4-3 uh, 40. Now, how fast can you get from sideline to sideline, both north-south and east-west? Speed kills. We've seen that in the NFL, especially recently. The easiest way to score is running past your guy. So if I'm a GM, I'm looking for speed. Okay. My number nine is coachability. Is this a guy that we can work with and grow and make better than what he is right now? And I think... 
Some guys are, some guys aren't. Some guys feel like they just have it. They got every answer to everything. For as a GM, I would run away from a guy like that. I want my guys to be able to listen to my my coaching staff and try to get better week in and week out. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I feel like I'm going to start or at least try to uh, include you know player examples that that follow in this too to help maybe explain it. My number eight. Uh, it, it applies a lot to quarterback, but I think even more so, you know, even even defenders uh, at every position, it's important. And that's just football IQ. Um, you know, do, can you may be limited in some area, but can you outsmart him? Can is your film study that much better? You know, the Patrick Mahomes infamous. Do we have time to run wasp or you hear those linebackers? Uh, you know, all the time with their film study, making calls, making adjustments. What is your football IQ? If we hear a lot, guys, of even even recently, uh, of players that have just started playing football. Uh, you know, a guy like Alex Davis or Jason Ankra, even guys at Nebraska that haven't played football for very long. Well, it takes a long time for them to adjust to the football IQ part of it. If you're around a coach as a kid, or you you know you're around football from the time you could walk or just had a passion for it, chances are that football IQ is already there. That, that can put you so far ahead. That can put you even with the talented guys if you don't have it, or that can make you from talented to elite if you have it as well. Um, if you're football savvy and you've got that football IQ, um, you know, put, put them on my team. And, you know, I know coaches are, are different, but you think about Sean McVay and his photographic memory and things like that. If you're a player and you have that, uh, you're definitely worth a spot on my team. Mine too. I line up with you here at number eight, Ben. I've got the same sort of football IQ trait here. Just little things like does a receiver know when to go out of bounds, know when to stay in bounds. Same with a running back. If you're a linebacker in the middle, do you know what the other team's going to try to do? Can you cheat a step this way because you've seen the tendencies on film? All that plays into the football IQ. Okay, my number eight, a little bit along that same lines, but a leadership abilities. And this would really be big if you're drafting a quarterback because you need this guy to be in charge of the huddle, in charge of the offense, the guy to look everybody in the eyes when you're down four late with the football. Can he lead that team down the field? So leadership qualities, particularly if you're drafting a quarterback, that's number eight for me. All right, on to the top seven, cruising right along here tonight. My number seven, I kind of combined two things. I wasn't quite sure how to phrase it, so it might require some explanation, but that's competition slash production. Uh, we hear this all the time, and we hear that debate. There might be that one player that comes from a smaller school, you know, a D2 school or a non-Power 5 school that hasn't played great competition, but the production was, was wildly uh, off the page. So then you start comparing guys that have played, you know, like in the SEC, who maybe production isn't quite there or compared to some other guys, but, uh, you know, they, they played in that meat grinder of a schedule. So to me, I'm looking at that. I don't think it's it's the end all, be all. But you know, obviously, if you know a guy has a certain set of numbers in the SEC, and we're comparing that to a guy at UAB, uh, that's going to weigh more on me with the guy in the SEC than it is at the non-power five school. So that is important to me. Uh, and the other thing too is you think about those guys that have been uh, drafted from non-power five schools. A lot of times, it's pretty common you hear. That that, that that next step up in talent, that next step up from the National Football League is even more of a jump uh, when you're playing against that type of talent than you are, say, the SEC, where you're going up against potential first-rounders every single Saturday. So that matters to me quite a bit. Not to say I won't draft guys that um, 
you know, aren't coming from the big schools, but I'm certainly looking at what their production is compared to the competition that they played. You know, it sounds to me like you were trying to make a top 11 list like I got infamous for, but then you explained it well, so I'll call it the, t- <laughs> call it the top 10. Still. Gray area. <laughs> Number seven for me, I have attention to detail up here. Now, how willing are you to, to master your craft, be a technician, really pay attention to the finer points of being um, a football player? Now, are you going to take a 12-yard route as opposed to an 11-yard route or 13-yard route? Do you know which foot comes first, which goes which way? You know, and those are, that's another little thing where doing everything right every time is something that coaches appreciate. It can be that separator. You get an extra half a yard for your quarterback to throw into. And even attention to detail to me also speaks to the meeting room. Are you paying attention? Are you taking notes? Are you asking questions, watching the film, trying to get just those little tiny advantages that can add up in the long run? I like that. That's good. All right, my number seven, I had, t- I had toughness at 10. Here's where I have strength. It's a game of strength. And can, can, you, can you deliver a blow if you're a defender? Can you take a blow? Uh, can, you, can you lower your shoulder and get an extra yard if you're a running back or a wide receiver yards after catch? Strength is such a big part of it. For me, that's number seven. All right, very good. My number six, uh, again, kind of a combination, but I think it all kind of ties into the same. And, Austin, you just talked about it. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm combining character and detail. I already had social life earlier, but my, I'm talking more so off the field. And, it, yes, it applies onto the field too, you know, detail, hand placement, eye discipline, all that stuff. But are, are you dressed appropriately? Uh, early is on time, on time is late. Are, are you a, you know, a mentor to, to the players? Are you good in your community? You know, all of these little things that add up to when it comes time to renegotiating your contract, to me, could could make or break it. You know, all of those things are going to make make a difference. And, you know, if I'm a GM, I want 11 quarterbacks on the field at the same time. And I think that attention to detail, that character, that passion, all those words kind of kind of combine my number six. See, I combined your number nine, Ben, the social life, with my number six, character. And this is where I think of, you know, look at guys like Terrell Owens, Chad Ochocinco, extremely talented players, wide receivers. But on the field, you know, they're a distraction. Off the field, they're a distraction from time. So as a GM, if I'm looking for character, I'm looking for guys that aren't rattled by life in the NFL on and off the field, where they can handle adversity, uh, they can stick with it. It's a little lower on my list than I, I thought it would be. Obviously, every one of the first things they bring up is character. We're looking for our guys, good guys, and everything. I think that ends up slipping down the board a little bit sometimes in all the drafts, but I still think it's deserving of a spot on the list. I'm, I'm in the same vein with you with my six. I just labeled it team player. Are you a team player? Can you operate within a team concept? Are you an individual who just is out there for your own stats? So I think we're all kind of in the same boat with our number six. I just labeled mine a team player. Yeah, I think that, that fits as well. All right, on to the top five. My five here, I've got – here's where I got the test scores. What's your 40? Basically your athleticism. What are your athletic traits? Uh, again, obviously important to me all the way up at five, but I'm not going to look at a guy's 40 time and say, okay, well, you're automatically going to be good at football. I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to couple my five with all of the other characteristics to determine whether you get drafted. There are so many teams that reach so far on athletes because of their combine scores, because they uh, – what, what do they get on their wanderlick? What, what, what are the other things that – they test well on that maybe I wasn't sure of before that are now going to make me pick that guy in the second round as opposed to the sixth round. It's important to me. It, it, it tells me what they can do on and off the field and maybe how I can use a certain guy. Uh, and honestly, my, my, 
broaden my radar. I think the, the when I talk about test scores, this is more for me with the later round guys, you know, guys that maybe I, I'm willing to take a shot on in the sixth round because of his, that, his athleticism. But it is going to be important to me at five. Number five for me is potential. This is one I think about, especially with teams at the upper round of the draft where they have time to grow and develop. Um, where it seems at the back end might just have more plug-and-play players. But to me, potential is important. You know, what are you and what can we turn you into? What's your ceiling? Um, you know, what can you become? Who's your comparison? Comparing players uh, is a big part of the pre-draft process. You know, who's their, who's their professional comp coming out of college? Can this player turn into this player similar to them, better than them? How do you project them? How long can they be with us? So potential is my number five. Okay, I'm, I'm with one of the com- the. Ben talked about the comparables here with my five, and it's size. And we had a car last hour asked about Tanner Farmer. Probably wasn't, isn't quite the right size to be an offensive lineman in the National Football League. And it may be what prevents the Davis twins from making it. They may not quite be a tall enough guy to be a certain position. So size for me. Size matters, boys. Size matters. It's five for me. I am uh, I'm such a hypocrite because, you know, I, I left size off, but then – there's one player that comes to mind that, that puts to bed all of this, what we're even talking about right now, and that's a young man by the name of D.K. Metcalf, right? right. <laughs> I, I, like, if that guy comes on and he's 6'5", he looks like that and runs the way that he does, I might forget every aspect of this <laughs> list and just pick him based on that uh, because, of, you know, that guy is just alien mode. But I did, I did not put size on my list, mainly because I've been thinking about the Bucks and Levante David all day. <laughs> and so size, size is not something I put on here. I actually uh, have something here that kind of goes along with what Austin was saying. I've got potential slash what's your story? You know, are you, are you one of those guys that hasn't played football a whole lot? You know, and that kind of weighs into your potential too. Um, you know, trying to evaluate where you could take me, uh, you know, watching your film and how much better you could get from that film would excite me you know and that kind of goes something what you said earlier greg your coachability i think all this stuff kind of kind of flows together if you're watching film with somebody and you notice okay this guy really struggles against zone coverage but if i can get my secondary coach who's an expert on the on the tampa two if i can get him that's going to make him an exponentially better player so you know what's your backstory that kind of ties into your potential i think all that stuff kind of comes together and i'm really looking hard at that think of antonio gates there yeah. This guy's a yeah. college basketball player, not a football player, and he ends up being one of the greatest tight ends of all time. Yep, exactly. Thanks in part to his physical traits. My number four, you guys talked about that a bit. You know, how big is this person? But also, is their frame projectable? I think of that especially for, you know, skinnier running backs and defensive backs. Can they put on weight and stay athletic? Um, do they, but even just starting with someone like a Lamar Jackson's frame, you know, he looks like an NFL cornerback. You can start there with players and then, and then mold them. That was something big with him coming into college is that he looked the part of an NFL draft prospect. 6'4", can run, athletic as all heck. So a guy like that is someone that comes to mind when I think of the, the physical traits that make you ready for the NFL. Very good. My four was Austin's nine, and it's speed. And I think speed is such a huge part of the NFL it's such a different level than even major college football. And we see differences week in and week out in the major college football levels. As one team, you're like, holy cow, this team's got an unbelievable speed sideline. The sideline, as a GM, in my, my GM room, speed's going to be really high up there. I got it at number four. Okay, on to the top three. Number three, I have, I have labeled intangibles, and I, and, I, and I have a couple of things written down here. High motor, 
Um, you know, is he one of those guys that plays through the whistle? I love watching those plays when kids get drafted to the defensive tackles. Khalil Davis would stand out big time on this, running down the field 20 yards to bring a guy down. I need that high motor. Uh, coach recommendations, you know, those types of things. You know, this is a guy that, uh, you know, he might not blow you away in this regard, but, you know, does he have the it factor? That, that's, that's the other thing, too, that kind of fits into this. A Russell Wilson type. He, he's not the biggest guy, but he's got that it factor. He, there's something about him that Levante David, too, another guy, not, not overly big, but he's got the it factor. He's got the motor. Every coach that would has ever coached him would give him their, their blessings. So I've kind of got those intangibles as my number three. Number three for me ties in a little bit of what we've already said with a little different twist. I've got adaptability at my number three. No, no plan survives contact with the enemy. A little bit of improvisation. As a wide receiver, what if you're jammed at the line of scrimmage? As a running back, what if your first hole closes? Quarterbacks, obviously, you know, what if your first read or two is covered? Can you extend plays? Some of that is you know, football IQ, just knowing how to play the game. But also, you know, can you take on a new role if you're asked to move from wide receiver to tight end or from running back to slot receiver or 4-3 down end to outside linebacker in a 3-4? That, to me, is a big thing I'm looking for in my players. Cool. All right, my three, you both had an eight, and it's football IQ for me. And this is what's great about this is because we're – we would be like three different GMs, and everybody values things a little bit differently. But to me, football IQ is huge. I have it up at number three. That's why the Cleveland Cavaliers selected Anthony Bennett with the number one overall pick of, uh, one time. They, they had a different set of uh, criteria yeah. than everybody yeah. else. All right, my number two, here's where I've got competitiveness and personality. I need a guy that's, when you're down 35 nothing. is he going to compete? Is he going to work his tail off? Is he going to be a vocal mouthpiece? Is he going to be a guy that fights whistle to whistle for me all the time? Or is he a guy that's soft? I mean, it, do, do you watch his college film, and when they're getting thumped, is he the guy that backs down? Is he still going? up for that pass over the middle when he's down 28 to nothing in the fourth quarter i need a competitor on my team and a guy that wants to win at all costs so i've got competitiveness at my number two is it important to you that teammates show up to a guy's birthday party is that would that be on this list yeah definitely uh and also if you uh callahan bo callahan if you have a dollar bill in the back of your playbook say you read it and don't mention (laughs) anything about the dollar bill Number two for me, I've got schematic fit here. This goes more with the scouting. And do I trust the scouts that I have out? You know, where did this player go to college? Do we like what that college coaching staff does? What are they comfortable doing? What can we project them doing? Are they better in a 4-3 as a down end? Or can they slide in a 3-4 to an outside linebacker? I think it's important to find players that are good at what you're asking them to do. I think that's a big part of it. Can they come in ready to contribute because of the scheme they ran in college? I'm right there with you. Fit is number two for me. Do they fit what we need? Do they, can they fit into what we do? And so many organizations get scattered by changing coaches so often they never get to that. The Patriots have it. They know what their, their fit is. So fit's big on me. I got it at two. All right, on to my number one. My number one here is work ethic. I could have the most talented dude on the board, but if he's not willing to put in work, get better, get in the film room, learn from the veterans, um, it, to work to be that 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 all pro type guy, if he's all about the flash, the money, the cars, and not willing to put in the work once he gets there, think he made it now that he's at the National Football League, I'm not going to take you. So work at, at I don't care if you're a five star or a walk on or a rugby player. If you're going to work your tail off, you're 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 willing uh, to get a look from me. Hard work beats talent, and talent doesn't work hard. The Ben McLaughlin story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad I had neither. <laughs> 
Number one for me, I've got versatility up here, kind of that breadth of talent. When I think of NFL football players, I think the best ones now are the ones that can do the most. It's not when you're asking when are they going to be on the field, like a third down back or situational edge rusher. You just assume this player is going to be on the field. You can put him out there and say, go make a play. You know, athletic quarterbacks, that's a thing. Patrick Mahomes had that run against the Titans. Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, two mobile quarterbacks. Derwin James on the defensive side. You know, he's a charger, but, you know, he really embodies that. Where he can play safety. He can play linebacker. Just gamers, guys you can put out on the field, trust to make a football play and win you the game. I'm, I'm a little bit along that same line. Mine is a playmaker. I want playmakers. When I flip on a film, hit play, I want to see that guy making things happen, whether it's hustling downfield 20 yards to make the tackle, whether it's blowing up somebody even when it's not your guy to block, those kind of I want my guy making plays, so playmaker's number one for me. Hey, Austin, what, should we Twitter poll this? Absolutely, we should. Our three, our three characteristics at the top and see what the folks think about this. So we'll put that together and get that up on a Husker Sports on our run to Twitter poll for the night. Those are our top ten characteristics if we were a general manager of a national football league. It was a lot of fun to dive into that. And ready to watch the draft with the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. And none better to update us on all this than our good friend Todd Lebo of 810 WHB in Kansas City. Lebs, I hope this phone call to you tonight finds you and your family healthy. Well, it finds us at home. <laughs> that. That's uh, certainly how, how it's been. Uh, you know, yeah, we thank you for that. We, you know, everything can kind of little stale running around everyone's just kind of hanging around and you don't go out and do things we're really kind of pining for some sports so the draft is coming at a great time for everyone because uh we we need something to talk about besides the old i mean like right now on espn2 the 2017 draft is on and that's a very exciting moment in kansas city because that's when they drafted Mahomes. so <laughs> other than that we're waiting for some real games at some point you know, Leibs, Adam Shifter, who works for ESPN, was pretty critical of the league a few weeks ago about kind of going on with business as usual. Um, where do you think that came from, and, and do you agree or disagree that, that the NFL has not taken all this very seriously? I think they've taken it seriously. They're taking all the steps. I mean, no one is working inside their facilities. Andy Reid, we had a, a, a teleconference with him a couple of weeks ago. He He sent a picture out. He's in his basement, you know. Uh, Brett Veach did a, a Zoom conference last week for us here in the media. He's in his basement. They're following all the rules, but here's the deal. We're following the rules that we're having at our radio station. People are doing their shows from home. You, you have to have whatever businesses can be available. They have to go on. So I don't know where that came from from Chapter. Maybe he was just saying that, seeing all the stuff that kind of happened back east and they shouldn't do this. But you can't just stop everything because of – and I, I know you guys are feeling it up there in Nebraska, we're just not feeling the effects of all of this stuff the way other parts of the country are. And I think it's great that some things are going on. You know, I like the fact that you just had the takeout Tuesday thing going. We have to feed people. Yeah, sure, go take out, get some food and take it home. You have to, I don't know this, I don't know about you at your house, it seems like it's time to fix everything. I mean, I've painted two things, (laughs) you know. Every time I go by Home Depot to to pick something up for a little project, there's, I got to wait outside. So there's things have to go on. And I think the league is doing it the right way. They canceled the party. No one's flying in anywhere. It's going to be very different than any draft they've had in decades. I mean, decades, because it's maybe the, any draft ever, because they've never not gotten together. I mean, they should just go to the hotel and they'd all be at the hotel. They're not even doing that. 
So this is this is going to be a different kind of draft. But in the end, it doesn't have to be the show. The end is you pick the players. That's what it is. And I, I, we all appreciate the show. And it's going to be here in Kansas City in a couple of years. It's going to be really neat that the draft is in Kansas City. But in the end, all it is is who are you picking and can you sign them? That's what the, that's what the, the actual exercise is for. Leibs, what do you think is on the wish list for the Chiefs and with their number one pick? And then what do they want to do with their picks, do you think? Well, you know, I've seen some things out there. When I see someone like Peter King put something out, I know he's, he's a lot of times in the know. But, you know, he put something out that they would maybe trade up and try to get Henry Ruggs, you know, the wide receiver from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. They have so much talent on offense. And they're pretty much bringing back their offense, right? Um, and they're pretty much bringing back their defense, but they're not bringing back Kendall Fuller, who is a slot corner, and then they signed Bashad Breland to a one-year deal as a cornerback. So pretty much I think corner is a spot they need to go, and I think maybe linebacker. But who, who's that player going to be? When you're drafting 32nd, that's a great thing. That means you won the Super Bowl. So that means 31 players get picked before you. You know, just by logic means you can't – get the best player theoretically because they will be picked before you, but it doesn't mean you can't get someone to help your team. I would love to see them go cornerback. They've not drafted um, cornerbacks early. They got uh, Peters, you know, but now Marcus Peters been five years or something, right? Other right. than that, they, they spent a long time drafting big fat defensive linemen, most of whom didn't turn out to be great. I think if they found a cornerback late in the first round, that would be a wonderful thing. They could find a guy who they could count on for a few years because that's a spot that they're going to be a little thin at regardless um, just because, you know, injuries and things like that. And the fact that you're looking, this isn't just about this year. The Chiefs have a big window here that they can be involved with with Patrick Mahomes, at quarterback. So you need to kind of shore that defense up as well. And it seems like late in the first would be a good spot to get one of those guys. Are you comfortable with where they are on the offensive line? Yeah, maybe not particularly. And I think that's – but I do think that's a spot – I mean, they're good at the tackles, obviously. Now, the same thing, those guys aren't going to be there forever. They don't have them under contract for five more years apiece. I wouldn't be uh, upset with the Chiefs that they went somewhere in the middle of the line late in the first round, but I do think that's something you can get second and third round, too. Yeah. I think it's just harder to find someone who can play cornerback than it is. It's so funny, Greg. We, we look back at this Chiefs. They had a, you know, the overall number one selection – Andy Reid's first year, and they drafted Eric Fisher, okay? But he was just a two-star recruit who went to Central Michigan. And then their right tackle they got from Cleveland, and he was, you know, not the first player picked or anything like that. And the interior of their line was Austin Ryder and Devin Wiley and Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. They're just guys, you know, and they won the Super Bowl because they have a quarterback and a bunch of really good skill position players. So I think they can find those guys somewhere, and they've shown they, they can do a good job at finding those guys. But I do think they only have five picks right now. Now, By the way, I think it's a very good possibility they trade out of the first round to pick up extra picks. So I could see them going out of the first round and getting an extra pick or two somewhere else because I think mostly what they need are guys who they could get in the second and third round. They don't need a first-round player to go – back to the Super Bowl because they pretty much have the same, same team that they had. And, uh, and, you know, they'll see if they can find their way back there. Yeah, we're visiting with Todd Lebo of 810 WHB in Kansas City. The draft starts in two days. Speaking of the Super Bowl, it's after today's news. It's inevitable, right? It's a Kansas City-Tampa Bay Super Bowl come next February. Isn't that what we're headed for? Man, I don't know. I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> here, and I think Tampa is kind of like a clown show right now, honestly. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I appreciate Tom Brady, but it, it sure feels a lot like what the Chiefs used to always do, and they'd go get, like, the old Niners quarterback. And Joe Montana was much younger than Tom Brady. That's a different time. But Montana had been hurt. Brady's only been hurt once in his life. It's a knee thing. He's, you know, he's not had shoulder issues or anything like that. But he's going to be 43 years old in August. And Gronk is broken down. And, you know, Bruce Arians was a broadcaster two years ago. It just – the whole thing seems silly to me. But uh, there will be something to watch. But are they going to the Super Bowl? I don't <laughs> think so. That's a tough division. And the NFC is stacked. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's any uh, coincidence with the fact that Tom Brady, who could have, you know, gone to the Chargers or something, gone out to L.A., I don't think there's any, any secret that he, he wanted to get away from the Chiefs. Yeah, I just said it. I think he's a coward. He wants to leave. The, he doesn't want to have to get through the Chiefs. No, I'm just kidding about that. But uh, you know, I think he, I think he wanted to go down there and give it a shot. He likes Bruce Arians, but no, I I don't think that outfit's going to go to the Super Bowl. I'd be surprised for sure. Yeah, I'm with you, Leaves. Great to catch up. As always, good to hear you doing well. Enjoy the covering the draft the next couple of days. At least it gives us all something to talk about here for a few days. Yeah, we won't be camped out at Arrowhead. We'll be camped out at home or in the office <laughs> on Zoom calls. But hey. It'll be fun. It'll be something that's that's live and happening now instead of watching the old stuff. Love it. Great stuff. Leib Saint, thanks. Appreciate it. All right, bud. A couple minutes left in the hour. Todd Lebo, not so sure that we'll see Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl after their move today to trade for the Gronk, who now joins his former teammate Tom Brady. What do you make of all that? I saw the most epic response to the ESPN tweet today, and it said, Brady to Gronk, and it was a picture of Joe Montana in a Chiefs jersey and Randy Moss in a Titans jersey. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm again not. How's OJ Howard feeling all this? I mean, if he wants to just slide on into Kansas City's offense, I'm sure we could use some of our $211 of cap space on him. Yeah, to, I don't think to he's going to be in Kansas. The Chiefs have Kelsey; they're fine at that spot. But somebody, you're right. We jump all over O.J. Howard. It seemed like, like Lebo said, it's a bit of a circus show kind of going on in Tampa down there. Yeah, it is. But, hey, that franchise needs pub, so do what you got to do. Yeah, they're getting it. No doubt they're getting it. Good hour. Fun top ten list. Talking about the draft. Great to hear from Todd Lebo of 810 WHB in Kansas City. Good work from Ben and Austin on those top ten lists tonight as well. Another hour of Sports Alley on the other side. Come on back.